God, I'm just so thankful for this day. God, thank you for getting us up, Lord, for keeping us through long nights. So, so many of us are, are caring for grandparents and parents and children and siblings, aunts, uncles, Lord, for friends, for neighbors, Lord, throughout this time. And we have been and we continue to be your hands and feet. And Lord, I just pray that this morning and that this time, Lord, that we would be reminded of your love and how you care and comfort us. And with that, we are encouraged and enabled to care and comfort those near us. Lord, we pray for healing uh, for, for these folks that we love, Lord. I pray that your spirit will rest mightily with, with these people, Lord, and continue to strengthen their hands as they do this work. And I pray for this morning, for this word, Lord, I pray that, that these words be yours and not mine, Lord, that um, I seek not to glorify myself, but in all of this, we seek to bring you glory. And I pray that this word would be fruitful for those who are hearing it, Lord, that you would open up our ears, open up our minds, open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're in the last week of our vocation series. Um, and this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the vocation of being called to love. And then the main idea that I have for us this morning is that God calls us to wholeheartedly love him and others in whatever we do. God calls us to wholeheartedly love him and others in whatever we do. I'll say it this way. Disciples of Jesus are commanded to do everything in love. The disciples of Jesus are commanded to do everything in love. Our scripture for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 16 and 14, where Paul says very simply, do everything in love. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, um, when, I, when I originally heard that uh, this was going to be the passage that I'd be preaching on, do everything in love, um, I sent Pastor Brandon this text message. Uh, and I, I said, I, I read, do everything in love, and felt this weight, bro. Like, like I heard a parent saying, James, do everything in love. And I'm thinking, even this, inserts anything in here with the response being do everything in love. Something about that initial response punched me in the gut, and I just want to capture and pause on that. And, and what I realized was two things. One, this, this do everything in love. I'm, I can be a textbook over-exaggerator. I say everything, you do everything, I do everything, so much has happened. Um, so I thought Paul was like me in that Paul was just exaggerating. You know, everything, I do a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. I'm going to do a lot of things later. I have to do all these in love. In the same way, I was also felt this weight because I don't do everything in love. And if this is the standard, if this is the line, then I'm in trouble. I, I got two brothers, um, and growing up as kids, we would fight all the time just because we're close proximity um, and when our parents would tell us to reconcile or, or forgive one another and say, do this in love, and then we'd punch them more, right? <laughs> we'd attack them again. And over, over time, as I, I grew up and, and we continue to grow up, um, we realized that it gets a lot harder when it's not just the family, uh, the group that you're fighting with, right? And I spent a lot of work 
or a lot of time at work talking to people about reconciliation, and we talk about um, the, the history of the church, the history of America, and there's a lot in there that is really hard to just forgive and really hard to let go. It's really hard to go into some of those conversations and say, hey, I'm going to do this with love. I'm going to respond to these people on my social media feed with love. I'm going to invite people into my home with love. I'm going to listen and not get angry and not talk with love. So what's important to hear this this morning is to hear this command with open ears and open hearts. Because if we do not have love, we cannot be disciples of Jesus. If we do not have love, we cannot be disciples of Jesus because we are not just called, just like we're called to a relationship, we're called to prayer, we're called to slowing down. We're not just called and invited to love. This is not optional. This this is a command. If you assess your life in Christ and you cannot see evidence of loving as Christ loved, then you need to pause, repent, and turn to Jesus for help. Because what you start to understand is when you, when, when you see the love with which you have been loved, the love that Christ has bestowed on you before you were, you were even cleaned up, when we were broken, we were sinning, it's, it's scandalous. It's egregious that we would not work, at least attempt, to desire to fulfill the command to love God and love our neighbors. There's no room for negotiation on that. There's no room for... Uh, Well, maybe I'll go halfway on this, especially if you claim to be disciples of Christ. I want to say, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, God loves you. Christ laid down his life for you as a gift for you, not because of anything that you've done or anything that you will do. He invites you to respond to this gift by repenting of your sins and putting your trust and hope in him. But for those who have already put their faith in Jesus, who walk with Christ, the call, the command to love is table stakes. This is what we come in with. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about the context of calling the Corinthian church to respond uh, to to this command to do everything in love. Uh, We won't talk too much about that. Pastor Brandon and our visiting teacher, Hannah, have done a fantastic job over the last six or seven weeks profiling the challenges in the Corinthian church. Uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's definition of a mature love. We'll read 1 Corinthians 13 and, and also see how we are commanded by Jesus to, to love this way. And then we're going to talk about some challenges. Like, it, it's not lost on me that what we're being asked to do is difficult. Right? It's, it's difficult to walk into relationships, be it with God or, or with each other, and just assume that, oh, man, from day one to the day that God takes me home, I'm going to perfectly do this work of loving. So we're going to talk about some of the challenges that we have here because there are, there are some folks who, who might be resistant to this. Like if you've been walking with Jesus for any kind of period of time, without a doubt, there have been wounds, there have been hurts, there have been disappointments, there have been discouragements. And it's really easy to punt on this command to love. But I would encourage you to think of it like this. You have been brought into a family. You've been birthed into a family, adopted into a family. And in that family, there are good and right non-negotiables that that family has agreed to on how they will function. This command to love is a good and right 
non-negotiable for the disciples of Jesus, for those who are part of this family, to the point that if we don't see that, if that's not evident in you, we question whether or not you're a part of the family at all. On the other side, you know, throughout history, throughout, just personally, um, you might have felt this temptation to reduce love down to only how we feel about a person or a community or a vocation in a particular moment. Again, growing up, I was a little bit of a romantic, so I loved everybody. Uh, when I started dating, everything was like head first and heels up into these relationships, and then they, I would get crushed, and we would just stop loving people. I have a little emo moment. So um, love is not just the warm and fuzzies and the excitement and the newness of a relationship. It's not less than that, but it's so much more. Love is tenacious. Love is enduring. Love gets in your face and calls you to higher heights and deeper depths. Love matures. So we're going to talk about how Jesus fulfilled this vocation of love perfectly and the hope that we get and have to fulfill this command to love. So before we, we jump in, I just want to you know, tune our hearts and our ears, and, and my hope is that this is not just another message uh, on love that we sit back and listen to. Like I said, we've heard 1 Corinthians at weddings. We've heard people talk about love. Again, if you've been around the church any kind of time. Um, but, but I would say that if that's just you know, the way that you're breathing and, and what you're coming in with, that, hey, we've heard this before, I'd say, well, then why is the church not a safe place for people to breathe? Why are God's people not safe people uh, to be around? It's because we've missed the mark to love well. We've missed the mark to endure in our love. And I hope what you hear this morning is a conviction that stirs a desire to be different because your neighbors need different. Your family needs different. Your coworkers, the police officers, the medical care specialists, the teachers, they need different. My motivation uh, for, for speaking on this topic comes out of uh, Ephesians 4.15, where Paul says, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow into every way into him who is the head, that's Christ. For him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And what we're going to talk about is that we are a body of Christ, and as we are, are rooted and grounded in love, and we're fit together in love, we grow together. So let's start here with context that, that Paul has for calling the Corinthians to do everything in love. So um, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, there, there's a lack of maturity amongst the, the congregates in the church. There's strife. There, there were factions regarding spiritual practices. There was confusion over the resurrection of Christ. Overall, there was a lack of acknowledgement of Christ's authority in their lives. So what Paul sought to do was to remind them at the beginning of writing this letter that all believers belong to the Lord. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. There is one church, one body. Even if they're in different places, they speak different languages, they do church on Sunday, some do church on Monday, 
They are one church, one body. They are one. And as such, Jesus is Lord over them, and the saints are his possessions. So Paul is seeking to motivate them, to remind them that they need to acknowledge the Lord's ownership and the implication that this had over their lives, which is a mature love. It's important to remind them that as a possession of Jesus, they didn't just get this free gift so that they can continue sinning. Paul says this in Romans, where he says, did we uh, receive grace so that sin may abound? He said, absolutely not, right? We have not been saved so that we can continue to sin. We have been saved and called to something greater. So Paul starts this conversation of love in chapter 12 by reminding the church they are one body made up of diverse parts and that the body has been put together, been formed and fitted by God. The church cannot resort to homogeneity nor cast off parts that they deem do not belong, right? Paul says we can't just be all arms, we can't just be all feet, we can't just be all ears. We have different parts that have different levels of visibility. We're we're different, but we are one. And he ends in chapter 12 by saying, but desire greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. So of all these gifts that we can have, of all the things that we can desire, Paul says, I will show you an even better way, and that even better way is love. So our takeaway here is that we need to resist the temptation culturally, societally, economically, to allow our body to be homogeneous, in essence, we can't be a church of all ears. So this is the call. Uh, God is calling us to a mature love, and we read this in 1 Corinthians 12, Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible around you. Put them all on the seats. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that. That's our gift to you. Um, But if you need to use a Bible and you want to flip with us, you can go ahead and grab one of those or uh, follow along on the screen above here. So 1 Corinthians 12, we're starting in verse 27. Paul writes, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these to the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you in an even better way. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, and if I give my body over in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease as for knowledge, it will come to an end. For in part we, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
when I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I remember we read this at our wedding six, uh, six years ago. And before we decided to read 1 Corinthians 13, uh, I told Allison that I didn't want to read 1 Corinthians 13. Because what Paul is saying here is hard. And what we were entering into was hard. Marriage is, is difficult, not because we're, you know, we make it that way on purpose, but because it is that way by design. Two broken people coming together trying to love each other and love Jesus. That's difficult. And if this is the, if this is the call, living up to this is very difficult. So again, when I think about doing everything in love, as Paul has commanded, if that's the line, man, that's difficult. And we were just honest about that. So Paul's definition here is that love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it's not boastful, it's not rude, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love was to be the mark of Jesus' disciples. And what Paul is doing, he's admonishing the, the Corinthians for their envy and their strife and their arguments and their childlike behavior. He instructs them that it's nothing to have gifts. It's nothing to have eloquent speech or wisdom or faith without love. God is calling us to a love that endures all things. And that is a mark of our submission to Christ. Paul, Paul is building on the words of Christ and explaining what his love looks like. Read Jesus giving this command in John 13, starting in verse 34. Jesus says, I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you, without envy, without strife. You are also to love one another. By this, you will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, the mark of Jesus' disciples is how they love. This informs why Paul concretely says, do everything in because it's the greatest. It's the greatest of anything that they would do. Williams Evans, uh, who's a theologian, uh, says this, the regenerate man, somebody who uh, has, has been bought back by, by Christ, is able to see his fellow man as God sees him, value him as God values him, not so much because of what he is by reason of his sin and unloveliness, but because of what through Christ he may become. He sees man's intrinsic worth and possibility in Christ. And the question for us is, do we have the eyes of Christ to see the intrinsic worth and possibility of our neighbors? You know, early on when we were talking about the vocations, the first vocation that uh, 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 we talked about is this call and response, this call that God has for us to love him and to love others. God's call in this passage details the why behind the love and explicitly states how love should look for disciples of Jesus. In another week, we talked about how we're called together and that God's call for us is to live in community with his people. That call was to focus on love above all, and that love resets the relationship dynamic within the community and allows us to live well within these relationships. A love, as Paul continues to talk about in all of his letters, is the engine for all the one another's uh, throughout the New Testament. In Galatians 6, 2, 
he says, carry one another's burdens. And in, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Ephesians 4, he says, uh, uh, be rooted and firmly established in love so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depths of God's love. Us being rooted in love, understanding that we have been so loved by God, continues to build us up to know more about God's love. And we'd be unable to do that if we just punt on this command, if we weren't living this out every day. But like I said, there are challenges to answering and obeying this call. The first is, is this, to wholeheartedly love God, we need patience to understand that God's ways are not our ways. So it comes with the challenge of not understanding why God does something in his sovereignty is distrust, is disappointment or disdain for God. And that cuts our love for him. And this cutting of our love for God puts us in a position where we then seek to become our own God and figure our own way instead of submitting to the authority of the Lord. We forget that God loves us, and he wants what's best for us. Love and trust or hope are interconnected, right? Love bears all things. Love endures all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It's important that we recognize if this is us, that we have lost, if we have lost hope in God, that he still has our best in mind. Whether or not we see it in this present moment, that it will be difficult to, to love him well if we don't see it all. If we fail to be reminded of the love that God has for us, it will be difficult, near impossible, for us to do an outpouring of love as he has commanded us to do. And we realize that as we're in relationship with God, in our limited view, we can't see all of God's eternal plan. We can't see how his pruning and his discipline are for our good at all times. And it's a reality, it's a challenge that we need to be honest about. The call to love will mature us for love deeper and fuller. And you'll start to realize that it's not just God picking on you when you can't see how the plan works out. Like in all of what God is doing is love. The second challenge is this, that we're not guaranteed that our neighbors respond to our love in a way that we respect or expect. Um, hope is drained from, from relationships faster than it's replaced because of wounds from our past. In our relationships with our community, with our family, we carry those wounds. We need to be honest about those wounds. We need to bring those wounds to the foot of the cross so that we can start to, start to get healing for those so that we can love well. Because what happens is that those wounds harden our hearts to hope for something better in our relationships. If that's all we're carrying, if that's what we're living out of, then our hearts will just be hard. Love requires humility. It's not self-seeking. And that puts us in a position to be let down by our neighbor. If we fail to not keep a record of wrongs, we will have a limited mindset to love. I can only take X many more times of hurt before I leave. I can, take, I can only take this many disappointments before I give up. I can never come back to a church. I can never come back to, to a community. I can't, I can't reveal myself because I've been so hurt. If we are commanded to love, Christ is making a claim about our true capacity by his spirit to endure in love. But we recognize that it is a challenge when we have been wounded and disappointed by our neighbors. 
Mature love is difficult in a broken world because lost hope can be difficult to love through and reconcile. I do want to say this, that you know, even though we are commanded and called to love, love is showing our neighbors who God is. It's not being God to our neighbors. Love is showing our neighbors who God is. It's not being God for our neighbors. Remember, Paul planted Apollos water. God gave the growth. You cannot love the growth up out of people. Okay? You can't love the growth up out of people. And you have to remember that Jesus didn't jeopardize his mission to gain people. You remember the example of the rich young ruler, right? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus, looking on him with love and compassion, says, give everything that you have. Sell everything you have and come and follow me. But what happens? The rich young ruler, he turns away, he keeps all his stuff, and he, he doesn't decide to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't then abandon his mission to run after him. Jesus took a look at this man in love, wanting to win him, wanting to show him a better way to live. And he framed this conversation in a Christ-like love that's reckless. Yet when he didn't respond to Jesus' call, I said, Jesus didn't go after him. Now, for you, it may not be a rich young ruler. It might be a coworker. It might be a family member. Like Christ's love did not stop for that rich young ruler and that he did not die for him. He did. But he did not abandon his mission for, for him. Remember, you are not being called and commanded to love the growth out of people. Some of the other challenges that we see from from culture that prevent us from clearly hearing God's call and love, you know, we live in a culture of getting as much as you can at the expense of others. If that's our pursuit to race to the top, it's hard to cultivate the type of wholehearted love um, in that culture that's going to, to make room for somebody else. There's a culture of fear of the other and the pull into tribalism where where we can't see are our neighbors if they're not exactly like we are, saying the same things as, as we say. So we sequester ourselves. And if we're sequestering ourselves, there's not room to invite other people in. On the other side, there's the, the culture of individualism where we're so focused on ourselves that we don't see anybody else. We don't make room for anybody else as they might need, uh, they might need love, concern, cares, prayer, whatever that is. We don't have room to invite them in because we're just sitting there sad. Some other things, uh, like I had mentioned, this kind of love, cultivating this mature love, is difficult and it's hard. If we lack spiritual discipline towards spiritual formation, then we will never get there, right? This constant walking with the Lord, understanding how God has loved us, what he has called us into, is required to fulfill this commandment to love well. Deficiency in becoming like Jesus, the spiritual formation prevents us from doing what he did, imitating him in this love. And like we keep saying, the unreconciled past wounds, if we're living out of the past, it would be a hindrance to us moving forward into deeper relationship with community. We're skeptical and we're doubtful that will choke out everything we attempt to do in love. And with all of these challenges, there is hope, right? There's an example. There's a picture of how Jesus has done this 
for us on our behalf. And in John 15, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appoint you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Jesus laid down his life for his friends because of the love he had for them. God loved the world, so he sent Jesus that we might be saved through him. Jesus embodies that sacrificial love in all his actions in life, death, and resurrection. It's not an example It's a command that we should love. The standard of love is not what humans feel. It's not what we feel, but what God has revealed in Christ's life and death and resurrection on the cross. In 1 John 3.16, he says, uh, this is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we understand love, because Jesus laid down his life for us. He did not wait for us to earn his love. He did not wait for us to be friends before he demonstrated this love. We have a clear command and example in the person and work of Jesus Christ regarding how we should love the Lord and love our neighbors, submission to God's authority, and with humility, loving our neighbors as ourselves. And remember, God proved his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the example that we have. That we didn't have to get right before Jesus went and died for us. We didn't have to clean ourselves up, fix all our brokenness before he died for us. This is the example that we have. It's an encouragement that our love is not conditional on our present state, nor on the present state of our neighbors. Because if it were, Jesus would never call us to to love our enemies. He would tell us to wait until they got right. Wait until they fixed themselves up. Wait until they forgave us first. He doesn't do that because we were enemies of God. And we, and we needed the love. We needed somebody to pursue us. And Jesus still loved us. And he died for us. This is our example. So our takeaway is that our command to love is not contingent on another person's feelings towards us. So with that, we have hope. We have hope to do this work. We have hope to do this commandment. We have hope to orient our lives in the same love that Christ has loved us with. And Paul says this in Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, you've been chosen by God, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It says this in Ephesians, For this reason I kneel before the Father, 
for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, I pray that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And, and Jesus says this in Matthew. He said to him, love the Lord your God. When asked what the greatest commandments are, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave us two. He gave us two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. And through that, the world will know you are his disciples by, by your love. It wasn't, this is how much you need to give. This is how much time you need to spend in a church on Sunday. This is where you need to go. Love God, love your neighbor. Resist the temptation to not do everything in life. Resist the temptation to give yourself a reason to not do everything in life. And as we, we come to a close, remember that God loved you first. Right where you were. Right where you are. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, that he had for me, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. I was saved by grace, through faith, not by any good work that I've done, not by any good work that you've done, or that we will ever do. We've been saved by grace through faith. It is a gift from God so that no man can boast. Jesus said that, the ones who believe in him, those are marked by their love for God and their neighbors will do greater works than he did. There can be no excuse for us not to love if we're empowered to do greater works. And the great work that Jesus did was love God and love us. The Holy Spirit has been sent to help us in that work. So it's possible to love with a Christ-like love, wholly, completely, and fully. Let's pray. God, we commit this time to you. God, we, we thank you for the example of Christ who has loved us so well, Lord. But before uh, his resurrection, before his death, before his life, Lord, through eternity, you looked on us and you saw love. Before we were friends of you, when we were enemies, you still loved us. You've given us your Holy Spirit so that we might empower, we might be encouraged and empowered to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I pray for these, your people, Lord, that they would resist the temptation to not do everything in life. They would resist the temptation to find reasons not to love their neighbor, their family members, their coworkers, Lord, their community, wherever you have called them or wherever you are calling them. Lord, I pray that they would do all that work in love because we have been so loved. 
God, we thank you and pray that this would be authentic. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.